Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's like old times. <laughs> good to see everybody. And um, about that spiritual warfare conference, how many weeks did you say it was, David? Three? Three weeks. Um, those meetings are not long. The Friday night, Saturday night, they're not long meetings. Um, you know, brief period of worship and then straight into uh, 40 minutes or 45 minutes of pretty important stru- instruction. There'll be three messages, of course, the Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. It'll be practical, uh, very helpful for daily living. Just, you know, things that are just important to us all, really, in the end. And, um, and of course, it'll be online, live, and uh, so on and so forth. So anyway, gather if you can. Uh, on, you know, of course, it's online, but live audience is good because it just helps really change the tone of the whole meeting in. It helps the preacher, like, get something to look at. <laughs> I was online yesterday to America, a conference. In fact, there was a major spiritual warfare conference in America yesterday. I mean, a whole series of speakers. It went on for days. And uh, so I was online speaking into one of those sessions, and it was on a, using a method I'd never used before. And uh, it, was, it was easy to get in, and there I am. They tell me I'm in the back room. I see my little picture, and I'm looking straight into the meeting and hearing everything. And the guy gets up and makes this... Uh, you know, welcome speech for me, you know, telling everybody how wonderful I was, blah, blah, blah. It's best not to listen. You don't listen, don't listen. Dude, think about your message. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, everything just disappeared. Uh, all I can see is myself. I now fill the screen. Meeting's gone. Sound's gone. And it just felt like you'd dropped out of the meeting. Like, where's it all gone? You know, one of those dropouts? So I didn't know whether I was still in the meeting or not. Turned out that was the moment they'd flick me onto the big screen. And, <laughs> and, and turned off all the live audio so that there was no you know, feedback ready for me just to speak. So here I am just looking just at myself <laughs> and no sound. And I hadn't got a clue whether to start talking or not because you know, if you start talking but there's nobody there, you can talk away, talk away, talk away, and then discovered you'd preach the whole message you know, to nothing but your iPad. You know? <laughs> and nobody can get you. You know, so I'm thinking, what, you know, what is it? So in the end, you know, all I can do is say, look, I've got, I've, got, I've got no sound, I've got no audio, I have no idea if I'm in the meeting or not, you know. All of a sudden, another picture comes up. So now I'm looking at an empty stage. The band's gone, the speaker's gone, there's nobody there at all. Play an empty stage, and me, and I still don't know if I'm being heard or anything. I said, could somebody please give me the thumbs up if I'm being heard? So a couple of people jump up, oh, and then see them now. You know? <laughs> so at that point, I had to assume, <laughs> and because just, you know, just had to assume they could hear, and there was somebody there. So anyway, and it turned out it was a good word. <laughs> it was a good word. Anyway, and when I finish, uh, all, the sound never, ever came back. So, uh, however, I got a text to say that, no, no, it sounded great on their end. Oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> anyway, that was a spiritual warfare conference too. And um, we succeeded. However, we're going to have our own mini conference in a couple of weeks. Let's have a little prayer. I've got a very important word to talk to you about today. Father, thank you for the word of God and thank you for this word that comes from it. And I ask that today, by the power of the Spirit, the Word of God would go deep to every heart. And would everyone here, give everyone here just such a sense of who they are and their standing in you and the meaning of it all and and how to live, Lord, that we might all live much more uh, conscious of the meaning and purpose of our lives. We give thanks to God. Lord, come and empower the people. Holy Spirit, be the teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want, to, I want to talk about a word that is a bit old-fashioned, and I'm not even sure that most of you will have heard the word, even though the word is used in the world in some common circumstances. It's a kind of word that hasn't been in vogue in the church for quite a while, but it used to be commonly heard. And uh, who's heard of the word stewardship? Stick it, put your hand up, let me see. Well, I'm surprised. Okay, so many, more than I thought. But as you know, that word probably hasn't been used around here in, in a long time and probably not in most churches. But I was, I was listening to an audio book. Uh, it's a book written by a fellow who used to be the lead international terrorist, uh, well, hostage negotiator with the FBI. Anywhere in the world, somebody got kidnapped. This was the guy. It's, he, it was his project. He had staff negotiate with the terrorists, get the hostages out. 
He said, in those circumstances, he said, you, you know, people buying and selling things, they'll often, when they can't agree, they often say, well, let's split the difference. He said, in this kind of negotiation, you can never split the difference. You can't say, well, you've got four hostages, you keep two, we'll take two. But it's the most interesting book on how he learned negotiation. And uh, then he went into business. And he, he trains a whole lot of people how to think in business, negotiation skills and all the most interesting book. And of course, it's full of these stories. However, he had this little story to say that came out of his, his business career afterwards. And he said one day, he was uh, discussing you know, a potential business deal, a contract with, with a businessman. But this businessman was, was wary and not quite sure you know, whether to proceed, not quite trusting, weighing everything up, holding things back a bit. You know. But this FBI, ex-FBI fellow says, oh, I, but I perceived he was a religious man. He was a, he was a Christian and I, I realized what was going on in his heart. He said, and I searched my memory banks for the word and I suddenly remembered it was, what it was, it was stewardship. And he said, I said to the fellow, oh, this, this is a matter of stewardship for you, isn't it? Yes, he says, that's right. Oh, you understand me. And just proceeded with the contract. <laughs> he won his trust. Because he was making the point about, you know, you, you need to understand the heart of the people you're dealing with. So um, anyway, there, there was an interesting application. And um, what, what does it mean? Well, perhaps half of you know very well what it means, but a, a steward in its setting, you know, in its uh, Greek-Roman setting, you know, the, the, the time of Jesus, a steward was, was specifically someone who, who ran the household and managed all the affairs for another person. In other words, there'd be, there'd be someone who would own a huge estate or a lot of businesses or have a lot of staff and he'd have a you know, family and a wife and children, but someone would manage all of that. Someone would see to us that the staff were doing their jobs, that the staff were fed. Now this was in the days of slavery, but slavery in those days was I mean, when people hear slavery today, they just think of that awful, you know, dehumanizing and, and brutal form of slavery that was in, in the period of America, you know, that period of the Civil War, and, and none of that since. All, I mean, terrible, terrible slavery. But, a but most of the slavery in history was not all like that. There were various kinds. And in, in the Bible, when the word, the word is doulos in Greek, when that word is used, it means uh, service or servitude of varying kinds. And it can mean someone who's a, a slave, but it can also mean someone who's just an employee, a servant. And the translators have to try and work out, well, how do we translate this word? Because sometimes it's slave and sometimes it's bond servant. In other words, someone who's indentured for a period of years, but they're being paid or they'll be paid at the end. Uh, and sometimes it just means straight out, you know, employee. So, and, uh, and of course, very often for the apostles, you know, the proper translation when they wrote, I'm the doulos of the Lord Jesus, it would mean a bond, they, what they'd have in mind was a bond servant. You were free, you weren't a slave in the awful sense, and yet a bond servant. They, they had this provision in the Roman Empire where if, if you got into debt and you couldn't pay your debts, you could sell yourself into servitude, you know, call it slavery, but you, you sold yourself to someone to be their servant, you were paid, you paid your debts, but you then served them for a, a period of years, you know, seven years or the like. Uh, it, during that period, they were supposed to save up money and then they would make you a freedman and give you the money. And uh, so you'll, you'll notice in the New Testament here and there, someone's referred to as a freedman. And so, you know, there, there are all these just think of, think of apprentices today. You know, you sign up for four years of study and you're going to get a meager pay. But, but there's an outcome, there's a reason for it. And so, in fact, the old term for a, you know, an apprentice, his boss was, was a master, his master in the old English. And he was totally under the command of the master. Well, it wasn't slavery, it was, he was indentured. So all, all these various forms of thing uh, are represented in the Bible by this term. So uh, being a bondservant, however, m most of the stewards, a, a lot of the stewards in that time, the guys who were in, char in charge, listen to this phrase, in charge of their master's affairs, meaning responsible for the household, responsible for its management, responsible for the care and education of the kids, make sure that took place, responsible for the employees, responsible they got, they got paid or they, 
eaten properly, property was managed, the accounts were managed. Very often this person who is called the steward was a slave. Very often, you know, the competent person who rose to this senior executive position was a slave. And sometimes an out-and-out -out slave, and, 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 but sometimes an employee and the like. Now, it's, it's this, this concept of being a steward that comes into Christianity as a moral value for us or an ethical value or a spiritual value. In fact, if you go to Wikipedia and look up the word, it'll tell you that stewardship is an ethical value. And it's often applied these days with respect to, you know, the care of the planet, the, the environment, looking after animals and, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, we've had this word a long time and for us, it's a, it's a very, very important word. Now, <clears throat> Jesus told a parable. Uh, you'll all remember it. He, and I'll just read you quickly what it says from Matthew 24. Jesus said, who then is the faithful and wise servant. Well, he's now talking about us. Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant. Now we're now talking about a steward. You know, this is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household. So he's, he's been made a steward to give them their food at the proper time. Jesus says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find him so doing when he comes. Now put yourself in the picture because that's where you're going to end up. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow, in other words, mistreat other people and, and eats and drinks with the drunkard, in other words, lives a careless life. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. Sounds all the more like the Lord does it. Well, this is why he's telling the parable. And you're the servant. You're the steward. Um, he cut him in pieces. In other words, he come under judgment. He had taken his heart away from the Lord. He just lived for himself. So this, this is the selfish life, the indulgent life. This is the independent person. This is not someone surrendered. This is someone who knew the Lord, but no, they've chosen to live for themselves. So they're a lawless one. They're, they're the ones to whom Jesus said there'd be many, to whom he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And so, um, anyway, so the, the essence of biblical, if you've got a biblical worldview, the, the foundations of your thinking in terms of stewardship will be scriptures like where Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There's scriptures like Psalm 24 where it says, the earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means everything, that means you, but everything you own. Everything you have, all your opportunities, your days, your nights, your house, your car, your family, your kids, the money in the bank, the job you have, it, it's all the Lord's. You'd have none of it if he didn't make it and give life to you, put you in a position. And uh, there's Deuteronomy 2, the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Uh, Leviticus is an interesting one. This is Leviticus 25, 23. The land, he's talking to Israel now, must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants. That theme is all through the Old Testament and the New, that anything you have you actually have as a charge in keeping. You're not the ultimate owner of it. You are a steward. You are a, a tenant. And as, as such, you get all the benefits of, of, of managing it. You, you, you get income, you get profit, you get a good life, you get loved, you get looked after, but you are taking care of it on behalf of someone else who is the real owner. You get to, you get to live as if you're the owner, but you're doing this on behalf of someone else. In fact, the Lord says in Job, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. And so um, it brings us to this interesting passage where Paul speaks of leaders of the church, apostles and teachers in particular are in his view here. Now, th there are two chapters in his first letter to the Corinthians which very often when we read them, you and I would think he's spoken about a series of different things that don't relate, but it says I've read the thing more closely. 
In fact, I, I have a new Bible. I, for years and years and years, I read the NIV 84, but decided to buy an ESV because I'd been, for some time, doing all my Bible reading in the iPad because you can quickly compare other translations, look up meanings of words. I'd sit down to read my Bible, but found myself a mind around, looking all over the place, comparing all kinds of things. So I went back to the good, good hard Bible, went and bought a new one in Perth, just so I can simply read and soak the passage for itself. And I, I can still pick up the phone if I want to examine a word, but so I've been enjoying just reading. I, I read three different places, you know, every day is the theory. But when I, when I read and read these two chapters along the way, what I realized was the whole two chapters hang together with him addressing one issue. Because uh, very often one issue leads to you know, various things having to be said. So what he took up at the beginning of chapter 3 here was the issue, it, it had to do with the disunity in Corinth, but in particular that the, there was division amongst them following different leaders. You remember he said, some say I follow Peter, some say I follow Paul, some say I follow uh, Apollos, some say I follow Christ. And he said, he said what are you going on about, you know? I didn't die for any of you. You know, what is Apollos? He's got nothing he wasn't given by the Lord. But then he breaks into this other truth. He says, all things are yours. Whether it's Peter or Apollos or Paul or Christ, it's all yours. And then, so as a part of all of this, and he gets into that interesting bit where he says, there's a day that tries by fire. And you know, we read that. He says, he actually precedes it by saying, I laid a foundation. See, Paul laid the foundation of the gospel for the church in Corinth. He said, I laid a foundation and others are building on it. In other words, Apollos and Cephas, that is Peter, are building on it. He said, but let everyone, and then of course others, others he doesn't name a building. He says, but let everyone be careful how they build. So the actual passage was about the leaders in Corinth, not about every believer. So that when he comes to say, ah, others are building on it, but let them be careful how they build because if they build with gold and silver and precious stones, it'll, it'll survive very well in the day that tries by fire. But if they build with wood, haste double, no, the day of fire reveal it, it'll be all burned up. And he was really talking about the leadership ministry of the church. But of course, I discover in the scripture, there's actually not anything anywhere said about leaders in the church that doesn't apply to every last one of you in principle. And that's why I've always preached that passage, as I often have, as applying to every one of us. There's a day that tries by fire. We are all, in our own way, building on the foundation of Christ. Be careful how you build. However, in keeping with Paul's theme about leadership, he gets to the little passage that I wanted to read to you for, about today's subject. So here it is. This is from 1 Corinthians 3. We pick up the last three verses of the chapter and then read a few verses into the next chapter four. Follow, um, yeah, well, it's up there on the screen too. So follow this little passage and you'll see the stewardship bit in the middle. Remember, he's talking about these leaders. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This, verse 1 there, chapter 4. This is how one should regard us. Now, by us, of course, he means Paul and Apollos and Peter and leaders in general. This is how one should, well, apostles, apostles in general, really, is what he's on about. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, put in charge of the household to give food in proper food, in proper time to the other servants in the house. Moreover, he says, verse two, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, right is a very important principle. Remember I said that there's nothing said about leaders in the Bible that don't by extension pertain, that is apply to every single person. So this statement here, which he wrote initially about himself and Peter and Apollos, applies to you, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. In other words, faithful with your handling, all the things in life that God has given you. You do your best, 
bearing in mind you are a steward before the Lord. So whether it's property, uh, buying and selling things, whether it's your income, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, your home, your job, all of these things are be, before the Lord, all parts of your stewardship, the, the looking after of your, you know, keeping the house tidy, for example, and, and keeping the, the lawn, you know, your, your, your yard clean and in order. These, all these things witness to your neighbours. You're a steward of the Lord. Um, you know, cleaning your teeth for that matter. I mean, you can go right down to the, the fine detail of life, but you, you, there's nothing not in there. But of course, what we're concerned about are the big issues of life. How you, how you spend your time. Do you waste your time on screens? You know, a little bit of that is maybe fine. You know, the, the occasional movie, well chosen, when you, when you just need a little time out is fine. But if you waste your life with movies, or what about the choice of what's in those movies? See, all of this comes into the questions of stewardship. You could, you could be pickling your own brain when it's meant to be wholly under the Lord. So what do you do with your leisure? How do, you, how do you spend your money? Um, you, you know, do you, do you waste money? Do you properly consider the needs of others? Are you properly a servant of the Lord with your giving? These are all aspects of stewardship. In fact, uh, the old giving programs in churches a long time ago used to be called stewardship programs, and unfortunately with that is it narrowed the meaning down uh, at, you know, it, it could always keep the broader meaning. Anyway, we read on here. Paul says, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. So he's, he's saying now with regard to his stewardship, the ultimate judge is the Lord. He, he, he can't afford to burden himself by some people who like him and some people who don't. In fact, I didn't even judge myself. No, and you know why? Because you, we can never be sure about our own motives. Very often, when we think our motive is good, it's actually mixed. What we do is we make choices with a clear conscience as best we can serve the Lord, and we don't turn ourselves inside out worrying too much about, you know, have had a really pure heart. No, we, we simply do our best to have a pure heart and let the Lord work with us. He says, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, what before, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. And look at the next verse. He, he makes clear what I said earlier. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour of one against another. Anyway, very interesting passage. But if I show you just one more little passage to show you that it's not only the leaders who are stewards. You are a steward. So this is 1 Peter 4. We go to the Apostle Peter now for three verses, 8, 9, 10, 11, four verses. And Peter said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, loving one another, showing hospitality, these are parts of your stewardship. Verse 10, here we go. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So here's a scripture that makes it very plain, every believer is a steward. In other words, in the Lord's eyes, he's put you in charge of things. He's put you in charge of a house to keep the house, order the house, manage the house, and guess what that house is. To start with, it's you. You're that house. And then, uh, so if you're, if you're a teenager, part of your house is, of course, your studies at school. Your attitude to your parents, your attitude to teachers, your choice of friends, you choose the wrong friends, you end up in a completely different place. You choose the right friends, you end up in a far better place. Do you know the outcomes in life are more often than not decided by one thing than another? It's the friends you choose. This is all aspects of your stewardship. If you're a student, how do you spend your time when, when you're not in school, not studying, and you're not doing the dishes because mum needs the help, and you know, or attending to your chores? What do you do with your mind? You know, is, is your brain 
shot because you foolishly wasted on trivial things. You know, are you living just for pleasure? See, the Lord wants all of us to have a, a certain amount of pleasure, a certain amount of leisure. In fact, if you're hard working for the Lord, he will see to it that he inserts it in there for you. I've had that, you know, I did that trip across America on that motorbike. It was the Lord who wanted that and organized it. Even this trip around Australia just now, he, he has from time to time stepped in and given me leisure that I have never taken for myself. This is the most marvelous thing, the way he looks after his own. So anyway, all I'm saying is there's a proper place for leisure and, and, and things you enjoy in life. But very often in this modern day, because money's easy, time's easy, we've all got far more free time than we've ever had, far more comfortable lives than we've ever had, we've all got more money than we ever had. A lot of people end up wasting their lives, wasting their time, not making of themselves what they ought. But scripture gives some clear advice to young people and it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Solomon says, you know, before these... Uh, before these other days come where you know, basically youthfulness is lost and you're getting old. You ignore the Lord all your life when, when you've got the energy and, and uh, opportunity, the day will come you live with regret. But you, you remember your creator in your days, of your, your youth, all those later years when other pleasures maybe fade off the scene, ah, the heart is so satisfied. Anyway, stewardship, dear friends, every one of you. Now, if you're not, of course, eventually your house is more than yourself because eventually you marry. So now your house is another person and, and a marriage and, and Christ is in that marriage and then there's children, so now the house gets bigger and you've got now a job or, or a career, all this part of your house. Now you've started to get assets, you know. You've got a car, uh, you know, you, you begin to have other things, furnishings and whatnot responsibilities grow, but that's not all responsibilities in the church, your example to people all around you, the attitude you take in the city, whether you're civic-minded, whether you're generous with charity, all, all kinds of things come into it. And, and so the, the Christian believer actually has more reason than anyone. In fact, because you've been given the Holy Spirit, you've got more power and been given more opportunity than anyone because you have the Word of God and instruction you have more information and understanding than anyone in the world to actually live the kind of life that would be the life of a good steward. In, uh, in another way, of course, the Bible uses the term priesthood. You, you could bring this kind of message based on that word too and add up to pretty much the same thing because we are here to serve. We're here to serve God. We're here to serve people. We're to live a sacrificial life in, in the way in which we serve God and other people. Anyway, stewardship. So um, this is the management of your house, the use of your time, the not squandering of your days, the choices you make, and, and including in those choices what you choose to see, what you choose to stare at, what you choose to fill your mind with, what you choose to listen to, hugely important things with respect to where your life's going to end up. Uh, how you handle money and property and, you know, avoiding waste and, waste and studying career, keeping your body clean. Oh, this is an important one. Keeping the body clean. Because the Bible's very clear, the, your body, your, your physical body, your human body, is not actually yours. It's the Lord's. In fact, the scripture says, you know, the, the, the body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. In, you're not your own, the Bible says, you're, you're bought with a price. In fact, the scripture, scripture goes even further and says that your body is a temple. Why? Because God is coming. If, you, if you're a believer and Christ has come and lives within you, Holy Spirit lives in you, because, because he lives in you, that immediately has made you the temple of God, the place where he lives. Because temples, originally the only meaning of the word temple was the place where, where you know, some God was supposed to live. You are that temple. And that's why Jesus referred to his own body as a temple. <clears throat> and moreover, we together as a people are a temple. The body of Christ in the world is a temple. Well, it turns out you, you must regard the body as holy. You know what the word holy means? Its, its foundation meaning is dedicated to God, dedicated to serve God. So your, the primary purpose of your body is to see that you, you, you hold it in holiness. It's, it's, it's meant to be the Lord's, therefore keep yourself holy, 
the mind holy, the body holy, the body clean. You don't do things with your body that ought not to be done. It's not your body. Paul says straight out, shall I, shall I take the body, which is a member of Christ, you know, and join it to a prostitute? Let it never be, he says. God forbid. The, the body is holy. In fact, Paul goes so far to say that, that if you destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you. That's, that's pretty serious, although the you in that passage is plural. So destruction of the temple is referring to destroying the church. You know, don't ra- do not raise your hand against God's people. So anyway, these, these are things to consider. And if, and if you consider, that, in fact, once you're married, of course, there's another uh, situation in which the body is not now yours at all. The Bible makes it very clear if you're married, if you are married, your body belongs as much to your spouse, that is to your husband and, and or wife, as to you. It, your body is as much theirs as yours, and, but, but the two of you together are holy, the Lord's, and therefore that's a consideration in, the, in keeping yourself clean and uh, you know, being attempting, desiring to be you know, submissive to the Lord, walk with God. And it's interesting what that, how that applies sometimes in some really practical things. Like, for example, I, I'm not a... Um, well, I'll give you an example from years ago. Back in, uh, we'd had our four kids and thought we were finished and they were growing up and, and I'm looking at money and budgets and, and it was in 1980, uh, 19, 1960, what am I talking about? No, it was 80, 87. 86 and 87 were our first two years in Rockhampton. We were the Salvation Army, had no clue in, in those years until right at the end of 87 that um, I would not stay there and that it was at the end of the year peace called me. So. During the course of 1987, I was sitting down and thinking and pondering the future and thinking to myself, um, you know, should I get a vasectomy? Well, the, but, but I knew the Lord. I knew that when you make choices like this, it's not your choice. The, the Lord's the Lord of life. So you, you submit these things. You know, um, uh, I mean, a few years later, '93. I mean, I had a, I had a, I had a hernia, and I knew fine well that I could, you could pray, you could seek the Lord, you could believe. You didn't have to rush off and try and get surgery. But I sensed in my spirit what the Lord wanted. The Lord wanted me to go and get the surgery. You think, well, how does that make sense? I did what He wanted, and it's amazing what came out of that. Being conscious of the Lord. So that's why I asked the Lord. I asked the Lord straight out, sitting at the dining table. In the, that was the formal one in, in that house, not the kitchen one. If, if I could or should or should not go and get a vasectomy. And he didn't say these words, it was simply the meaning conveyed to my heart. But he basically said, not in your sweet Nelly. In other words, don't even think about it. No, no, this is not for you. Whatever you do, don't go there. Now, I'm not saying this is a word for anybody else. It was my word. That was 87. I, well, I did not know he had a plan. And within, within three years, everything changed. Simeon was born, Joseph was born, Ezekiel was born, Susanna was born. His plan was to give us many more children for good reasons. That was his plan. Out of that, many people had more children. Like Lisa was one. Praise God. Look at all these kids. They actually came out of that word, right? Because as I got that word and the Lord gave us a family, somehow we released a grace to the family, to the church, and many more people had more children. Do you know, do you know when Hazel fell pregnant, uh, immediately, the, the moment she fell pregnant as a result of the word, a whole bunch of people in the church fell pregnant, including the wives of the other two pastors, and one of those guys had had a vasectomy. I said to him, well, you shut the gate, but the horse bolted anyway. <laughs> no, it was, it, was like a, it was like the church was irradiated with grace to have babies because we surrendered to the Lord on that matter. But this was just an example for us of being holy unto the Lord. You don't do anything with your body that isn't graced by the Lord and you have his approval. You know, and I tell you what, long term, you are happier, much happier for it.
Praise God. So um, here's how stewardship might apply in the family. What about um, if you're a steward, if you're a steward in the family home, mum and dad, guarding family life, teaching your children the Bible, teaching your children faith, teaching your children to pray. That story about Cora's Rebellion come up today. You know, these are uncomfortable stories. But of course there's good reason why these stories are in the Bible. And for us today, one of the applications we ought to be able to clearly see once you think about it is, children are very much affected by their parents. In other words, today, if you put yourself in a bad place, you're almost always going to put your children in that same bad place. You make bad choices, your kids are affected by it. You carry bad attitudes. If you're cynical, if you're critical, you're full of jealousy, you're full of accusation, if you're suspicious, if you're standoffish, your children all grow up with these values. If, but if you, if you love the Lord, you love the pastor, you love the Word of God, you come to church, they see you worshiping God, there's a, there's a, not only that, but at home you're actively teaching them. Teach your children. This is how to pray. Pray with them. Make sure they know their Bible. It's a father's responsibility, but all of us are stewards. We all, you give your children the far better opportunity in life to grow up actually knowing the Lord. You must do this uh, or, risk, or risk them to the darkness of the world. What about your work and career? No, no, it's not just a job. Please say, everyone here in the hearing of my voice, it's not just a job. It is your calling. It is your vocation. You are a steward. You're serving God. You're serving people. If you have, if you have, um, I remember we had a, a preacher here once visiting us from overseas and, and it was in the early days of uh, Purple Patch, you know, Philip's business. But, but, but one of the things he said to Philip was, just a mowing business, you know, mowing, old utes, old mowers, or, you know, they were probably a bit better than at first. But, you know, he says to Philip, one of the keys for business was take, take pride in the business. Well then, you know, they did, they took pride. New, new utes for the guys mowing, you know, beautifully side-ridden, business grows, so much bigger today. Because, ah, in fact, Sam McCombs, Philip, both have spent time with me praying to, that that business would serve Christ, it would have a kingdom purpose. Well, see, that's stewardship. If you're in business, if you're, in, if you're a profession, say to yourself, what I do is for the Lord, it's to serve God as much as people, and, and watch how he prospers it. It's, it's amazing what can come from the Lord. And, and probably just this point, if you're a steward, if you're a steward, you must learn to pray. You must hear the call to prayer. There must be times at home, you, you, you know, you're busy, but no, stop, take time out, pray, talk to God, listen, you're a steward. That is, you're a manager of his affairs. You must take time to listen to him, learn from him, yield to him. Learning to pray, pray effectively, pray with authority, pray with power, help change the world is a very big part of stewardship. Now, I can tell a little story and play you a song. Comment for a minute or two longer, play another song. Uh, I've only put a few scriptures up today to leave space for two songs. Hope you don't mind. But the story is, this, this CD here, I have no idea how I got it, how it fell into my hands, or how it just started playing in my car four years after it came out. And it was only ever a sampler. A Hosea, well no, an Integrity. Integrity sampler, 1993, but it started playing in my car in 1997. How it got there, I have no idea. But here it is. And here was the situation. I, I had got, uh, we had come to a time of the greatest difficulty we had ever experienced in life. We had had plenty of battles along the way and the Lord had purposely put me through a couple of serious battles to learn the principles of no matter how dark it looks, no matter how much you think you haven't got a friend left in the world, keep trusting and keep your eye on the promise and come out of the darkness and lo and behold, and, and he'd done all that for me to prepare me for what was going to be a very dark, long period in the life of this church 
in 97 and into 98 and so on. This was the period where someone in the church who his relatives didn't even think he was born again, but he had been a deacon and I didn't even know it, but he was going around trying to enlist people against me. I didn't even know this was going on. But the Lord had said to me, I was driving home one afternoon and the Lord said to me, storm clouds are gathering. And I knew what that meant. I knew it meant trouble. And you can sense, you know. And sure enough, you know, more and more resistance, more, more and more opposition somehow. A whole lot of people who were wonderful and stood with me. But this other thing was rising. And then uh, the Lord was giving me scriptures and, and uh, he, would, he would show me in the scriptures where it said they're, they're digging a pit for you. But they'll fall into it themselves. And on the very Sunday, um, I can't remember what it was, it was late 97 or early 98, but it's on the very Sunday the Lord gave, gave me that on Sunday morning, he told me straight out, they're digging a pit for you, but they'll fall into it themselves and you'll pass safely by. I came into church I, and I, you know, we did the meeting and I finished preaching and I prayed and pronounced the benediction and opened my eyes and there I saw it. There was this fellow going from one to another and I just stood there and watched and observed. I thought, isn't that interesting, you know? Anyway, it built up to being uh, some really serious and strong accusations against me all in writing and, and uh, so we went through this very difficult process of division in the church and, and, but there was a spirit driving it, a, a very high level powerful principality driving it that, that he, when that kind of spirit gets influence he, he can blind the eyes of people blind their thinking and say they're so full of these ideas but you can't reason with them and it, um, it got into some key families and it got into some key leaders and we had an eldership of um, well six or seven guys and we'd been together a long time and they'd been very good but, but they, all, they were all soured and getting caught with this thing and um, you know the women also and, and I'd, I remember one lady in the church we'd been some of the closest friends, her husband and, and her, and, um, and all of a sudden she wouldn't talk to me because, no, 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 I can't trust you. Just, just like that, out of the blue. You think, the strangest stuff. And the Lord would not let me defend myself. He wouldn't let me stand up on Sunday, speak to it. He, no self-justification. He just wanted me to wait. Just wait. He said, trust me. This thing built and it was horrific. And I, you know, you're under huge pressure. Don't think we, don't think you don't feel it. You, he told me, you know, rest in me, but it's very hard to rest when you're the, the ham in the sandwich, right? Hose night home, we'd be praying. Late at night, finally get the kids to bed. When you've got kids of all age, it takes a long time to get them all to bed. You know, the little ones go earlier, but the teenagers, they don't go to late. You know, finally, 10 o'clock, you might be free. She and I would sit down, pray it all through. I remember one night we prayed it all through. Take about an hour. Then I said, no, I'm going to pray it all through again. We prayed it all through again. It was midnight. No, we're going to pray it through. We prayed it all through again. Every night, though, we, we were praying through all once, you know, just trusting the Lord. I mean, it was so dark. And uh, interesting thing, I was offered a job at the time, too, to head a ministry down near Sydney that had, you know, multi-million dollar property. And they wanted me to come. And, but no, it was not for me. And I, but it just it felt like we were going to lose everything. And I said to the Lord, Lord, it's, it's yours anyway, and if you, your will be done, whatever you want. If you want to take it all away, if you want to take away from me everything, including, you know, the house and car, everything we have, it's, it's yours, you can take it all. I surrendered it all to him, but now he assured me, just stay put, just stand. And because this was, this was getting darker and darker, I prayed and asked the Lord if, if two elders would remain faithful and stand with me and of course um, and that's exactly what happened literally I was thinking it would be David Hood plus two but no it was David and one it was two elders literally and that was Ken Appleton who who stood with me and Ken just could not understand to think that these other guys so blind couldn't even reason with them some guys so full of offense but he wouldn't even say what the offense was 
because there was not once a single sin or a single thing I'd actually said was named. No, it was, it was this spirit of offense, but it was building against me an army to destroy, destroy me, destroy the church. And it was so dark. And it was right in the middle of that that this song began playing in the car. Now, I want you to listen to the song. I've never shared this before. But it was actually two songs back to back because as soon as one would finish, the other one would kick straight in on the, with this in the player. And, and very often today, it still jumps up in the car, like uh, two days ago, it jumped up in the car again, out of my phone, because all the CDs in there. I didn't even switch it on. But I thought, no, I'm gonna play you the song. Now, it's, it's, it, it, it's one of the longer tracks, right? But what I want you to do is imagine you're in the darkest time, and sometimes that's how it feels for you, right? But you're the servant of God. And uh, just imagine he's saying this to you. Well, put yourself in my shoes. Just imagine the darkness but he has things to say. And this song, song takes some interesting turns and halfway through, oh, in comes, a, in comes a word, in comes a twist. You'll see it. And then even at the end when the song finishes, the, the guy who kind of led the song, oh, he says something else. You've got, you got to just be quiet enough, take, take all that in. All I want you to do is you're, you're appreciating the Lord, how he gets into these things for you. All right, so... That one there, that's, uh, you, you've got track two, track three, in number or just play two. Let everyone have a listen. And turn it up. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made on the cross for us. He has become our Jehovah Shalom, which means Jesus is our peace.
and out of nowhere that said judgment is coming he is my peace men pursue me but he is my peace judgment is coming and so that that's the most interesting song for me in that circumstance to have the Lord not only speak these things you know he's king of the flood he Jehovah sees you know Jehovah knows but there's another interesting bit where he says Jehovah takes, Jehovah gives, and then judgment is coming. And that song was really prophetic in its day. But that, it's all, that is based on scriptural thought, and the word is yours. It's your word too, no matter what the circumstances of life. And that's why if you're a steward, he really is the point of that, if you're a steward, stand, stand firm, in what you believe, live for Christ. See, in that day I stood, but it led to very good outcomes. 80% of the church stood with me, but it was the 80% who stood with me that the Lord then led us onto this adventure of discovering the apostolic. We had all those revelations. 2002 came where the Spirit of the Lord moved on amongst us three times, opened up the world to our travel, you know, opened me up to write books. It actually all came out of standing in those days because the spiritual battle, the reason the dark powers were so strong is they're trying to destroy what was in embryo in this church for the apostolic before it got started. It was really a battle over authority. So um, I remember when that was all over, people coming to me and, and saying, the Lord was really, really pleased. Pleased that I had stood and not folded. A lot of guys quit and leave. And I had other offers. But I, I had promised people in this church I would, I would lead them to the mountain of God. And as long as the Lord was in that, I, I, I um, would not leave. Well, that's what stewardship is all about. You know, Paul says, so then. People should regard us as servants of God and as stewards of the mystery of Christ 
If you'll stand when you need to stand, it brings a victory rather than a defeat for every one of you. And it pleases God. Scripture says, find out what pleases the Lord. Well, the song that immediately followed it was not as long as that one. But you'll appreciate why the Lord threw immediately another word on top of that one. And this one's for you too, because in a moment we're going to close, but not without us all taking a moment to pray and allowing the Lord just to speak to your heart about your own stewardship. And uh, there may be something in which he's really pleased that you've stood, but there may be something else in which you had done the wrong thing and you want to put that right with God. There may be something you've been neglecting and realise the Lord wants you to put that in order and take it up. And in a moment, I want you to take a minute to pray and fix that. But meanwhile, this song will speak to what needs to be your heart in addressing those things for the sake of the future. So we'll play this track too. This one takes three or four minutes. And then we're going to go to prayer, each one of us, just for a few minutes, concerning our own stewardship.
I normally have trouble hearing the lyrics when I hear a song sung. The weird thing was, for, didn't have any trouble right off hearing what this song was saying. You'll find the same through all the clutter of life if you want to know what the will of God is, he has ways of making it known. There may be some choices you've got to make in which you, you need to be strong. And I don't mean being strong with other people. I mean being strong with yourself. We're our own worst enemies. We give in to the weakness of the flesh. And sometimes we've got to get tough on the body, discipline of mind and body, and discipline the clock and say, <clears throat> I'm going to walk with God. So anyway, let's take a moment to pray. Everyone just bow your heads and your hearts before the Lord. This moment is your own. It's your stewardship, even though we are stewards together in a house together. The surrender of your heart's critical. The surrender of your own heart. Just go ahead. Give yourself to him. Listen to him. And I thank you too, Lord Jesus, that as a house, that is as a people, a company, you gave us a stewardship for the apostolic, the apostolic message to be taken to nations. You put within our hands something valuable and gave us opportunities and we thank you and you've been patient with us. And thank you now for a whole new part of this journey that's ahead, this for us is stewardship also, the stewardship of the congregation, the stewardship of this work. And so I ask, Lord, that we be freshly empowered for that work, but also that a, that a whole new and clear and fresh sense of, of what we are called to and what it's all about would be given to the heart of our people that we might in this matter be faithful, be found as faithful stewards. Lord, empower every family, empower every married couple, empower our teenagers and our children as they walk with God and seek to serve you and put their trust in you and, and take courage to uh, do within themselves the things that grace calls them to do and to be. So this day, breathe upon them, fortify every last one of them, forgive all their sins, and cleanse us, Lord, for every wrongdoing, every unclean thought, I pray. And so we commend our way to you, our days to you, our lives to you. We, we place in your hands afresh, we are the Lord's. Come, Lord, fill each one with the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill them each, and grant each that word they need to hear. And so I place your peace upon each one, your peace upon every home and family, and I bless them in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone. God be with you. Uh, we'll have morning tea together. Keep the prayer of your heart alive. We've only had a minute here to pray over those things, but plenty to think about. And so you are the Lord's. And... Um, so may your days be good, your years fruitful, you know, your life prosper. And we'll prosper together because uh, we've got a job to do. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you for attendance on the Word of God. And uh, we'll have fellowship together, morning tea together. <laughs>